There's people out there that will always have something negative to say. There's also a few people out there that, particularly on social media, you know, they're trolls. They get their kicks out of trying to get a reaction out of you. And I think once I realised that it actually wasn't about me and these people, you know, are really negative people in their lives anyway and there's nothing that I can do to kind of stop that. There was no point in responding. There was no point in trying to, yeah, write back to them all, which is what I wanted to do <laughs> initially. Yeah, I'd be like, that's not what it is. Like, yeah. I get on my keyboard. Yeah. I realised I just was better to walk away from all of that because at the end of the day, our core customers love us and love what we're doing. And, you know, not everyone will always love your product. You know, there's always going to be a couple of people out there that are just negative by nature. So... Hello and welcome to Smart Online Marketing, where I chat to switched-on entrepreneurs and experts to chat about smart strategies to build your business in a profitable and sustainable way. My name is Katie Griffin and I am in the digital marketing game. I specialize in Google Ads and I've worked one-on-one with clients such as Showpost, Woomaker Law and Snuggle Honey Kids. And I also have my own course teaching small businesses how to grow profitably using Google Ads. If we haven't met before, I'm a kombucha-loving Real Housewives apologist alongside my love of all things pop culture, and yes, that does include the Kardashians. I'm a mum of two, a self-confessed hippie at heart with a love of all things business. On today's episode, I have Jess Jansen on, who is the founder of Dogshare. Dogshare is Australia's first dog sharing website designed to connect busy dog owners and lovers with other like-minded people to share the responsibilities of walking and socialising dogs. Jess came up with this concept after realizing that her dog needed some additional exercise and companionship while she was with her kids or working. In this chat, we cover how Jess used PR to get a lot of new customers and the very expensive mistake she made early on in her business. Here's Jess. Jess, thank you so much for chatting to me today. Can you please let me know what exactly your business dog share is about? Yeah, sure. So we're a matchmaking service for dog lovers. So the business started almost four years ago when I had a very needy German short-haired pointer and a young family and I was working a corporate job in the city And I just found that the experience of us getting a new puppy felt like kind of a lonely one. And when I was having trouble with my dog, who was barking incessantly all day, I was really stuck about what to do. And we, by chance, met a neighbour who had a Border Collie puppy who was also under 12 months old. And the two of us were able to team up and help one another out with walking, taking in turns to do walking morning and evening and also letting the two dogs share a backyard and hang out. And that neighbour moved away after around 12 months of this great arrangement and I was left thinking how would I get this to happen again other than like knocking on people's doors like a total weirdo. And, yeah, I guess it just left me pondering this whole idea that, you know, we all know the adage that it um, takes a village to raise a child, but could the same be true for dogs, particularly needy dogs? And where do you go for help when you need help with your dog? 
I mean, that's a great concept. Just thinking of, okay, it would be great to have this sort of service where people were able to share the responsibilities of, of raising a dog. But what actually made you decide to make that into a business? Because it's a big idea to go from a casual arrangement between you and your neighbor to then thinking, I'm going to pour a lot of resources into that and make it like a full-on business. Yeah, definitely. So it probably came about relatively naturally. I don't think I thought this is a great idea. It's going to make me a ton of money. Let's, you know, whack together a business plan and and away we go. It was much more gradual than that. So to be honest, I thought the idea was kind of so nutty that it probably wouldn't work. So rather than spending up big, I just put together the most basic website and I obviously talked to everyone I could about it and told them my idea and and kind of tested the waters there. But I got this feeling that I would never really know until I just threw it up there out to the public and see what the reaction was. So that's what I did. And there was actually no complexity to the website whatsoever. It literally was just like a five-page website that you know, talked about the concept and the idea and why we were doing what we were doing. And then I remember we had like this form and it looked like really whiz bang, you know, like you were going to fill out this form and, you know, this cool algorithm was going to do this cool matching. And actually the form was just like data that just arrived in my email inbox. (laughs) And that was it, just raw data, nothing else. And so then I would plot people on like a private Google map and look at all the different members that we get accrued and actually match make them myself. So introduce them via email and go, you know, you guys have got a Labrador and this person up the street has a similar dog and I think you'd be a really good match. Here you go, introduced, you know, over to you. So that's how it started. And within about six months, that was becoming a really busy kind of thing for me to do. And I went, okay, this isn't scalable whatsoever. <laughs> so just to interrupt, in six months, how many members would you have had? Um, a few thousand. So, Oh, wow. There were obviously other people that were struggling with the same sort of logistical issues of raising a dog. Correct. Yes. Mm. And I found too that dog lovers are a really passionate kind of audience segment, if you like. You know, people that love their dog, they just ran at the idea, you know, they were like, yep, I've got a dog, I love my dog, I want to do the best for my dog. And so even if I don't need necessarily help with like we did, like walking arrangements, there were so many other elements to that. People would say, I just really like my dog to have like more predictable socialising arrangements rather than just kind of throwing them into the dog park and hoping for the best. I want to organise a play date with like, a small breed dog or a dog that's a bit older and knows its manners or, you know, a whole host of things. And so, yeah, so we, we ended up getting quite a lot of interest in that first few months and I immediately went, okay, this isn't sustainable for me to, like, match make people via email. <laughs> so I need to build something that helps these people connect in real time. And so that's kind of what we set about doing. And is that at the point where you realised you had to invest more resources, like, financial resources in it. It got to like the six month point and in order to scale, because I don't know the back end of your website, but I would anticipate that the ability to do all that kind of on the fly, that matchmaking, you would require a bit of a robust technology platform to do that for you. Yes, correct. So yeah, at that six month mark, that was the point where I decided, okay, this might actually be something and I'm going to commit to it a little bit more and I'm going to set aside some funds and I'm going to get, you know, a bit of a fancier website built, some stronger 
technology. And at that point, I mean, it's all learning curve, right? So I can I can be honest here, but we we dumped a whole bunch of money into a website that was an absolute piece of I won't say the word, but it was Crap. bad. It was really bad. And can we just talk about ballpark like thousands? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, look, in fairness to both myself and the web person back at the time, we didn't know what we were building. And it's really hard. There was nothing off the shelf that would have created what we needed to create. And we didn't really know how users were going to use it and what they were going to want and how they were going to interact. And so I think in a way it was, when I look back on it, it was kind of an experiment that actually needed to happen. Yeah. So the good thing about that website was we could build really quickly. So I would go, okay, we need to launch like a parks feature. And so we would build the parks feature and we would launch it within, you know, a couple of weeks. And so we were getting things up really quickly and that became in itself really good kind of marketing for us because people all of a sudden were like, whoa, this little business has kind of come out of nowhere and they're building all this cool stuff and they're constantly releasing new features. But eventually we got to this point where because we'd never had this kind of overarching information architecture about what we were going to build, it became like this Frankenstein of bolt-on modules that eventually from a coding language didn't talk to one another. And so then when I would say, okay, now I want to build this, they were like, well, we can't do that because we're limited by X, Y, Z. So for a while I was kind of really hanging on to the fact that this was my big investment and I didn't want to let go of it and, you know, I couldn't believe that I could spend this money and it still not be that technically strong. But eventually I came to the understanding that it was just really an experimental phase and I just had to walk away from that website and we started from scratch yeah, so that was pretty hard, but yeah. it needed to be done. And I think other business owners will be in the same position is that you are thinking, I have dumped a whole bunch of resources into this, cash, time, you know, everything else. And especially when you're starting off on the fly, your expectations and your needs change like week to week, month to month. You're constantly learning about your your customers. And even this applies to, you know, e-com businesses where you're suddenly like, okay, I need this feature, I need this feature. So I think it's really important to hear you say that, yes, it was an expensive, I guess, quote unquote mistake, but it needed to happen to get to the point where you are today. And I've had those experiences too, where I'll think far out, like I just I shouldn't have done that, but without that piece, would I have been where I am now, which is something that's working? Do you sort of see it in the same? Yeah, totally. And look, to be honest, if someone had of, like when we rebuilt, so we're on, say, version two of the website now, which is, you know, like this beautiful piece of technology. If Mm. someone had said to me in those early days at that six-month mark, this is what you need to build and this is how much it will cost, I would have run away because, those costs scared me and I didn't understand just how hard it is to actually build something that's totally custom. Custom, yeah. People that are using, you know, Squarespace websites and Shopify websites, you guys, you're so lucky because they're amazing to use. You know, you should lean on that technology. It's there. It's You can have it off the shelf. You can add so many different features and things and it's quick and it's easy and you don't even necessarily need, you know, like a serious coder what we needed to build was you know pretty much totally custom and I guess the other thing that I've come to be accepting about of my mistake of building a bad website 
was, um, you know, dog share is very experimental. Nothing like this existed in Australia. There's no other website that allows dog owners to team up and reciprocate duties. There's not really another one in the world. There's some kind of bubbling along, but no one's kind of really come in and nailed this space. So when I think back on that, I kind of go, oh, my God, what was I thinking? Why didn't I just choose a business that was like tried and tested like e-commerce? Yeah. But, you know, I'm really excited about the possibilities for DogShare and, you know, we're doing it now and we're, we have all of these members and they're meeting up and they're getting great benefit from it. And so even though that path's been a little bit rocky, I'm definitely glad that, you know, I gave it a crack and, um, yeah, and I'm super excited for the potential. So when you say now, for, say four years down the track, and how long are you into the new website that you've got now? Two and a bit years. So I spent probably a year researching. Once I realized I needed to leave my old website, I spent a year researching. I really didn't want to muck so you it up. You want to do it properly this, <laughs> properly this time. Mm. Yeah. Yes. I really didn't want to muck it up a second time. It was so important that we made the right choices around. For us, it's all about, so our website is custom, but we lean on different technologies. And so for us, an integration, so an integration with like a payment platform like Stripe or mm. our messaging system, those integrations are really expensive. So you want to get them right. It's like getting, you know, into business with a partner. So it took me a really long time to research all of those different support components and make sure that we were making the right move and then also appointing the right software engineer to actually carry out the work. Do you think that that, because I know you are in an ambassador role for a Facebook group that we hold events for, and I know you as someone that is incredibly diligent, planned, you've got very clear calls to, you know, checklists and very strategic in the way you go about things. Do you think you were like that beforehand or does this experience kind of hone those skills that you have now? Because a year's a long time to kind of plan and execute a new website. It can be really frustrating when you're like, I need this now, but I've got to have to wait to be able to make sure I've done all the research. Yeah, look, I definitely felt, you know, obviously out of the kind of ashes of that first mistake, I definitely felt the pressure that this was my last shot at getting this right. So it, it couldn't go wrong. And yeah, I definitely put a lot of pressure on myself to make sure that we made all the right choices. Did I take too long? Mm, potentially, but you know, time is just a is just a thing, right? Um, yeah, I think sometimes things just take as long as they take, and you know, you need to feel comfortable with them. And I definitely feel and felt very comfortable with my choice around my team and actually ended up being one of our smartest moves because the software engineer that I employed to build the website once we did build it ended up coming on as our technical co-founder. So that's been like a game changer, you know, to think that the person that built my website two years ago is now my co-founder in business. That's obviously put us in a way stronger position and you know, all that technical headache has just about completely disappeared for me. And prior to the version two of the website, that's the role I was playing was essentially like this totally inexperienced IT manager trying to fix all the things that were wrong with our website. And I was talking to coders in Romania and, you know, it was just an absolute nightmare. And I should have been, you know, out there talking to our customers selling our concept, um, you know, all of those things. And that's the thing I love to do. 
So this has totally turned all of that around. And I have Adriana who's, you know, 100% over our tech is beautiful and it's a pleasure to use and I love it. And now I can get back out and focus on our customers. So what would you say, because I would anticipate that there are people listening now that are like tech as a business owner can be one of the biggest pain points when you're trying to, you know what your end goal is, you know you're trying to get this platform to talk to this platform or you, you want these are features you want on your website but you just don't know how to do it. What advice would you give to someone when they're like deciding what they need on their website and to engage a developer? I guess like how do you choose someone to come along on that journey with you? All right, so I've got two really good ones. One is find a techy person that can check over the work of whoever you're going to engage. It means that that person is 100% on your side and will tell you the honest truth. And for me, I was lucky I've got a cousin in startup land who knows how to code. And so when I employed Adriana as our software engineer, he was able to, at different points along the process, review all of the code that the team was producing. And so before each of those payment iterations were due, he would sign off on it effectively. So like an advocate. Correct. Because I can't right. really code for their building stuff and I'm like, well, it looks nice, but i got no idea about whether this is well built or not. So, yeah, so Jane would check over my code for me regularly. So that would be one. So get someone that's on your side, on your team, like a little in-house tech advocate. And it doesn't need to be. I love that. I love that idea. They just need to look at it and say, this has been done well, or you are being taken for a ride here. Because it really is like another language. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, I love that idea. Yeah. And then my other one would be don't spend any money on tech. (laughs) Don't spend (laughs) any money on tech until you know that, It's something that your customers actually need and want and we've become so much better at this, our process. So I would get really excited about building these new features. I'd be like, you know, we're going to build like a park feature and it's going to be so easy to find dog parks and rate them and, you know, go to them and do this and whatever. But at the end of the day, your customers might not actually care at all about this exciting feature that you think is worth building. So Now our process is we call everything, we do like a quick and dirty test. So we try and get a really slim, a really non-coded version of whatever we want to build out to our customers and in their hands. And that can be as simple as like one of my favourites is paper prototyping, which is literally getting pieces of paper and drawing your website on like a phone-sized view or a proper view and doing every single page and giving it to a customer sitting down and saying okay here's my home page now you give them a task to do so you want to join with us or you want to buy a t-shirt through us or you want to do whatever give them the task and see what buttons on the paper prototype they press and then continue to give them the next page that they would view on your website and from that process, I know that sounds really like basic and archaic, but you will actually get to see because you think, oh, that button, that like big like buy t-shirt button is so obvious to me. But all of a sudden you put it in your customer's hands and you might find that they press something totally different and they're like, oh, I thought I had to go here or I thought I had to do this. And so from that feedback, you start to refine your design. So that's a really good one, the paper prototyping. But, yeah, if there's ways you can do something, if it means like using a type form, you know, instead of like mm. building proper forms into your website, do those things first. 
learn through the process and only at the end of that go, okay, you know, here's the results. This is something our customers want. We can get money from this. And so we're happy to build it now. Yeah, I think they're two really great points. I love the idea of having an advocate because I liken it to when I first outsourced SEO and I didn't know SEO. So it's all well and great to think I'm paying a thousand bucks a month for someone to get this for me or do this for me. But if I don't know how to adequately or properly evaluate their work, I don't know whether I'm getting taken for a ride. And I recommend that to all businesses. I think it's really important to, you need to be the one that's getting your hands dirty and and learn different, you know, outsourcing advertising or other areas of your business, because you actually need to be able to properly project manage someone that's doing that and see whether you're getting value for your money. So I love that idea. Speaking of getting like dog shares, like you mentioned before, it's an incredibly new concept and there isn't really anything else like that this in Australia. So how do you find like bringing a new concept to market? How do you actually get the word out there? I'm sure there was a level of word of mouth and you getting, you know, talking to other people, but what strategies, marketing strategies have you used to actually get your message out there? How do people find you? Yeah. So this is a good one. And obviously as a startup that just made a very expensive website decision that turned out poorly, we didn't have a whole heap of marketing funds to, you know, the big key is you want traffic to your website. You want, you know, hundreds of eyeballs on your website looking at your concept. So the things that have worked for us really well, I mean, obviously utilizing any free tools that are out there, for example, social media, Pinterest is really great for driving organic website traffic. We did invest a little bit into some SEO in the really early days, which I'm super glad we did because that organic traffic has been great for us. But another key for us was public relations. And we were pretty lucky, I guess. I was thinking about PR before and and what makes, I guess, a good good candidate for PR. And one of the things that's really important is you have to think about it in terms of the news. So it has to be novel, entertainment, weather or sport. So for Dogshare, we fell into definitely the kind of novel category. It was something new. It's something a bit fun. Often in the news categories, you might notice that towards the end of a news piece, like the 10 o'clock, the 5 o'clock news or whatever, they'll put a feel-good story to kind of end on. So for us, that was a really obvious slot because everyone loves a puppy. And the Herald Sun actually, like page, I think it's three or four, like every week have a slot for a dog story. So that was kind of lucky for us. But yeah, if you're looking to get your own PR, I would definitely say try and find a unique angle. So if your product isn't necessarily unique, for example, if you're an e-commerce you know, retailer and you sell T-shirts. Well, you know, that's T-shirts on their own aren't newsworthy, but there might be something unique about your processes, about you and your story, you know, like is it a rags to riches story? Yeah, so those types of things get picked up really well in the media. And when you say, okay, you notice that the 5 p.m. news slot has a feel-good story at the end, how do you actually get featured on that? Because you have been featured on TV before. How do you get featured on TV? Yep. So I'll start with some basics. So first of all, you can do your own PR and particularly if you've got a limited budget. So I would start with things like local newspapers are great. They're looking for stories. Guest blogging is fantastic or guest podcast appearances like this one. (laughs) Anyway, you can reciprocate with another business, particularly that shares a similar audience to you is going to be helpful. 
There's another a website called Source Bottle, which I would recommend. It's great for so journalists look at use Source Bottle if they're calling out for a quote for an article. So if they're writing an article for in my case on dogs and they want an expert opinion, then they would be looking for a quote from different sources. So you can put your own name down to that. And then from there, if you want to get serious about PR, and certainly this is what we did, was you probably need to think about hiring a PR professional or an agency. You know, I think you can only take your own PR so far. It does take up a lot of time because you're constantly canvassing, you know, journalists. And so I think the question is, is that what you want to be doing full time when you've probably got other things that really are better use of your time in a small business? PR professionals have fabulous contacts. So, you know, they spend their life catching up with journalists and pitching new stories and new angles. And so, yeah, that would be my recommendation if you're going to be serious about your PR. Probably like any industry, I would say there are some cowboys out there. So you want to pick the right professional. I'm sure there are tons of PR agencies that would be happy to take a whole bunch of your money and not be too concerned about the results. So, you know, make sure you're asking the right questions about what your expectations are around, you know, what that outcome would look like for your monthly fee. And how do you measure that? Because obviously you want some ROI on your PR. If you're starting to work with a PR professional, how long does it take to start generate some buzz and actually get out there and get some results for the fee that you're paying? Yeah. So in our case, we did a five-month campaign with a PR agency on a monthly retainer. It's very common for big brands to just be permanently on a monthly retainer with a PR agent. And so that's to do proactive PR where they're going out and obviously telling a good story to the media, but it's also to do reactive PR in case anything negative comes up and they want to address it. So for us, that burst of five months was just unbelievable. We never expected to get such a good result. Um, Our PR agent was fabulous in giving us reports on exactly how many impressions were garnered by each piece of press and they did press monitoring so that if there was any even sort of small blog pieces and things on dog share that they could pick all of that up so you should be able to see some really kind of hard metrics on that I guess the other point would be it doesn't matter if you've got the best PR agent in the world again back to my point about if your story and what you're trying to sell is not newsworthy it won't get any news so If you can't find that newsworthy angle, do not waste your time with PR. No one wants to write about your T-shirt business that's just selling basic cotton tees. You know, like there's different angles you could go through with a product like that, but you need to find whatever your unique angle is. And so in our case, we were just really lucky that the media loved the newness of, you know, Australia's first dog sharing site and we were able to keep that fresh by continuing to add different stories and different features on our website that were newsworthy. So, for example, we added a helper offering, so not just dog owners, it was now extending to people that don't have a dog and that want to help out. And so, for example, that one was picked up by Sunrise and Today Tonight because, wow. that, yeah, that, that was that was very unique. Yeah, right. That is incredible. And so when was the first time that you engage with a professional PR firm and how many members, so you you had a couple of thousand at the six-month point, how many members would you have now? We've got 24,000 members. Wow. 
And most of that was generated through our five-month PR campaign, without a doubt. When we launched that helper service, I was actually on holiday with my family um, in this really remote location and I had a call from the agent to say that Sunrise wanted to do a live cross with me the next morning and I was like, I'm literally in the middle of nowhere. (laughs) Um, And so they said, would you be able to drive to Canberra, which was our closest kind of major town, and and do this live cross at like 6am. Oh, my God. And I was like... Yep, sure. <laughs> so luckily I had my dog with me. So the two of us drove and stayed in a dodgy motel in Canberra and I got up at you know 4am and did this live cross in a dog park, which felt very unusual. But, yeah, I mean, it was amazing. So we had 6,000 applications for the website that wow. day. Yeah, wow, that is crazy. Yeah, it was very exciting. <laughs> And I think that that's like what you were saying about you actually need to find an angle that it's going to make you have that sort of response because no matter what, and I tell this to clients as well, it doesn't matter how good your advertising is or in this case your PR is, if you don't have a product that people want or that people resonate with, it's going to fall flat. So you actually need to develop, I guess, that really strong brand identity and your core messaging, which I think you've nailed down. How in that case do you then monetize so you have a yearly membership that people sign up for. Is that right? Yeah, correct. So we have a $20 once-off application fee and that covers really our time in screening all of our applicants and making sure they're suitable for our platform. And then once you're on the platform, it's $9 per year to use. So it's really low cost, particularly I think if you think about the potential value you might get. For example, we have a helper who's been walking our dog Duke for two years now almost weekly. So, you know, the value to us is unbelievable and obviously worth a lot more than $9. Carly, our lovely helper, adores Duke because she isn't in the position to own a dog of her own and she kind of gets access to ours and they've formed this really strong bond. So so it's super low cost and, and great value, we think. Wow, that is incredible. And yeah, I, I'm blown away by the fact that you've managed to get on major television networks programs and had such a positive response, which just means it must give you so much confidence in your end like product being that dog share community and network that it really does resonate with who you're trying to target. Yeah, absolutely. I guess the other point I would touch on, and I think we've spoken about this before, is one of the big differences with PR and I guess working with the media is you never have absolute control over their message and what what they choose to say or how they choose to edit it. So obviously you can give them the information which normally comes out from, you know, your press agent as a release, but they'll then go and write their own article based on, you know, a number of factors based on what's in the release but also based on what's on your website, what else they can find out from your customers. So you need to be aware that, yeah, it's a very different piece of marketing than, for example, putting out an ad where Mm. you get absolute control over what's said and how your brand's represented and all of those things. So that's just a consideration. What tips would you have in order to mitigate that? How do you, I guess, implement as much control as you can is through that messaging that you give to your PR agent, is it? Yeah, look, I I guess it probably comes back to working out if you're the right candidate for PR, if you've got, (laughs) sounds bad, but if you've got any kind of skeletons in your closet, then, you know, maybe press is not the right 
path for you to go down because the media will pick up on those and expose them. I'll never forget when we got the request through from Today Tonight and I feel like Today Tonight always has that kind of like shonky undercover, you know, like, yeah, catching people out, doing shonky things. And so I remember saying to my press agent, I was like, they're not going to like do some weird number on me, like (laughs) edit me in all the wrong ways. And, you know, she was like, I don't think so. Like it's a community initiative and, you know, it's all about loving dogs and I don't really know how you could go kind of negative with that. And, yeah, so I was a bit nervous about it, but they were fantastic and they ran a really, really positive piece. So that was great. But, um, yeah, so I guess just thinking about whether you're the right candidate and just making sure that you're PR ready, to be honest. I mean, making sure, like, for example, that Sunrise Cross, that was fine. I was able to tell my web hosts, you know, that we were expecting obviously a bit more traffic and to kind of be ready for that. But we did have once a piece that went viral kind of unexpectedly and we had 200,000 hits to the website over a couple of days and it actually took down, I was sharing a server with like all these other clients and it actually took down their server. So, yeah, lots of people were really annoyed with me. But um, um, so (laughs) (laughs) we've got our own server now so that won't happen again. (laughs) But, yeah, making sure and I guess like, I actually got some of this stuff wrong. We never had like the Facebook Pixel installed before all that viral traffic, which is yes, you're killing me. No, I had no idea. So making sure, yeah, your website can obviously handle the traffic and is ready for, you know, I guess a bit of an interrogation maybe from the media. Like if your terms and conditions aren't up to scratch, if you know you're copies not on point I mean those are all the types of things to think about before you certainly get into into PR tracking codes are ready Facebook pixel Katie you'll know Google ad conversion retargeting yeah. all the things they need to be 100% ready and you also need to have a backup plan in case something goes wrong and I mean like if the media spins your story in a way that you weren't expecting or ends up causing some negative conversation, then how are you going to deal with that? And that just made me think of another point, but I think that's really, they're really good tips to be able to have your code in place. And the reason why, as just said, that to have those tracking codes in place is that allows you to measure this activity as well, to see what sort of impact it has on your bottom line and your revenue. And you can see where that traffic's coming from. You can also adequately measure like what sources of traffic are profitable for you and driving the best return on investment. So then you can reinvest more of your marketing budget to that in the future. One thing I did want to, that made me think of that you said, you know, have that backup plan. What happens if, because you don't really have that control over say Sunrise post the article on their Facebook page, and then you get a stream of comments because I'm sure there'd be businesses that would get PR and you see them like someone shares an article and then there'll be like 300 comments saying, oh, this XYZ happened or I mean, we both know of a recent occurrence where there was some bad PR with an event, but how do you control that when it's on someone else's channel? Yeah, this is really probably tricky. You can't. I'm probably not the expert in this space, but I'll tell you what's happened with me and how I've kind of dealt with it. Look, we've been really lucky that most of our press has been really, really positive, but we did have one piece that actually wasn't we didn't even approach this particular media outlet and they decided to run a story on Dogshare without asking us for comment or getting any of our information directly from us. It wasn't negative, I wouldn't say, but it was just done in a bit of a tacky way and I guess a way that 
certainly doesn't resonate with us and and wasn't representative of what we really do. They kind of, you know, told people that you could rent a dog and it just came across as really tacky and, and certainly felt very against the grain for me and for our audience and for what we actually do. And so the comments that were on a Facebook post from that, you know, people read the headline and and made judgment without kind of knowing us and knowing how much heart that I put into the business and knowing what our community is actually really about. And I found that really, really hard. I actually wanted to pretty much go underground after that and never do any other press again. (laughs) You know, it was hard to read. But I think I've learned that there's people out there that will always have something negative to say. There's also a few people out there that particularly on social media, you know, they're trolls. They get their kicks out of trying to get a reaction out of you. And I think once I realised that it actually wasn't about me and these people, you know, are really negative people in their lives anyway and there's nothing that I can do to kind of stop that. There was no point in responding. There was no point in trying to, yeah, write back to them all, which is what I wanted to do (laughs) initially. Yeah, I'd be like, that's not what it is. Like, oh, get on my keyboard. I realised I just was better to walk away from all of that because at the end of the day, our core customers love us and love what we're doing. And, you know, not everyone will always love your product. You know, there's always going to be a couple of people out there that are just negative by nature. So, yeah, I think you just need to move on from it. And actually, I found that by spending my time and energy in such a negative kind of space, it didn't do anything great for us. You know, in actual fact, you're so much better just focusing in on the positives. And when I look at, you know, our great customers and people that are getting great value out of the website and people that have made all these beautiful connections in their community and they've got this support network that they can turn to and I think about all that positive stuff, that actually brings, I feel like, brings our whole community up. I think someone, I went and saw a talk recently and she called it like a pyramid and she was talking about how you can kind of either focus on your top, you know, 10% of users and 10% of customers or you focus all your energy on that bottom percent. And I realised that, yeah, when you get stuck into that negative stuff, it actually becomes like almost like a negative cycle because no matter what you do, these people down the bottom, they actually, they're not your customers. They don't care. Um, so just just wipe your hands off them. It's my my advice. <laughs> I love that. When you look back on say four, four and a half years ago and starting Dogshare, if you had known the amount of roadblocks and tech stuff that you would have gone through, would you have still started this dog matchmaking business? No, that's a pretty <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I would not. It would have scared me. But you know, like I know they say that in business it's actually really good to be a little bit naive because, no, there's no way I would have started this if I knew um, <laughs> how it would be. Sorry if that's not what you're expecting, but I'm glad. I no. no regrets. <laughs> yeah, because if you had been told that many years ago that this is what you're going to have to spend, this is what you're going to have to do effort-wise, it's overwhelming. So when you look at it from like a just a week by week, and especially when you're in it, like I know when you're in it, you're kind of like, I can do this and you're moving forward all the time. Looking back is sometimes really hard because you think I've gone through a lot of crap to get yeah. where I am. And like I said, I, I really do. I'm, I'm super proud of what, you know, what I've done and how far we've come and I have no regrets, but I think if everyone, if I'd had everything out on the table before I started this, 
there's no way. I would have said, you know, that's too much, it's overwhelming, you know, I can't do that. So having a little bit of naivety in starting a new business is great. If you think it's going to be easy, get in there, give it a go. (laughs) Jump in. So what advice would you have then as we close up? What advice would you have for someone that is starting their own business and on the start of that entrepreneurial journey that you were just a couple of short years ago? Um, well, definitely you need to make sure that you're going to be super passionate about what you're doing because, and I've heard this before, but I think they talk about that whole startup journey as being, you know, like lots of ups and downs. And I think the thing is, if you're going through that down patch and kind of business isn't working out, maybe the way that you thought it would, it's your passion for what you're doing that will pull you through that space. If you're kind of just gone out to, for example, make money, but you're not actually caring of what you're creating then when you hit those roadblocks they'll be much harder to pass that would be my advice yeah right well thank you so much for your time today jess can you give the listeners the place where they can connect with you online and find out more about dogshare yeah sure so you can head to our website dogshare.com.au and you can also hit us up or hit me up on linkedin i'm really active on linkedin if anyone ever wants to get in touch my name is jessica dance and you'll find my profile on LinkedIn. Cool. Thank you so much, Jess. This has been great. No worries. Thanks so much for having me. It was fun. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. You can follow me on Instagram at katiegriffin underscore and also join my free Facebook group, which is called Smart Online Marketing. All the links are in the show notes as well as how you can connect with Jess. I would love it if you shared this episode with a friend and also if I could be super, super greedy, left a rating and review. I will chat to you in the next episode. Bye. Bye.